Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. You recently did uh, a stint back home in, in Oz. I mean, I, for as long as I've known you, you've kind of been back and forth a lot between, um, you know, Melbourne, Sydney mm. and, and kind of LA, New York. Um, but you, you, you were back home doing a, a stint on Home and Away. How was that? It was great, man. It really was. You know, it's, um, I, you know, like you said, I've been back and forth, you know, since 2010, but I moved there kind of did the official move in 2014 to LA to LA. Yep. Uh, but even with that, I kind of still found myself back home for six months of every year. So I didn't feel like I had kind of, you know, planted my feet and just kind of stayed there. But, um, you know, my girlfriend now, Sophie, she's back in Sydney. So we found ourselves kind of doing the long distance thing and it was getting to the point where, she was making plans to come over to the States, but we weren't sure exactly when that could happen. And then the home and away gig came up. So I, I knew I had to go back and finish series five of Wentworth, which was only going to be a short stint. And I was like, well, you know, that'll be a good time for us to see each other. And then home and away popped up. Um, so that kept me there for three months. So on the practical side of things, it was awesome because I got to see her and, and uh, I was studying at the time as well. So I got to kind of concentrate on that whilst in Sydney and finish that see family and friends and also the show turned out to be a hell of a lot of fun and just you know it's a really good family environment i think everybody says that before but it actually really is it's you know i think just because there's so many people who've done it for a long time in the crew and in the kind of office you know in the production office that it kind of and, and the cast as well that it kind of trickles down and keeps everybody grounded and solid and um and they seem to all take care of each other because there's quite often obviously a lot of kids on, on the show. Um, so yeah, it's got a good family environment. So the, and the character arc was great. So all in all, it, was, it, it really was a great experience. Welcome to 2017 friends. And thank you for coming back. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for being a part of the coming up next work. Uh, first, I start with an apology, I don't like to start the year uh, on a negative note, so let's not frame it that way. Um, but unfortunately, illness did get in the way uh, of me releasing an episode last week. My pillow did have to take precedence over my microphone, but I am back in full health now. The show will go on, and now that we are back on the airwaves and ready to start the year with a bang, start your podcast year with a bang. You know, start your podcast year with a good deed. Maybe you jump on iTunes, Stitcher or Podbean, you look up Coming Up Next, you hit the subscribe button, you rate and review the show, you share the show, you go to www.comingupnext.com.au, you don't keep it a secret from your friends anymore, you let them all in on the good times that are the Coming Up Next ramble and I'm going to bring you a year full of interviews with some of the top creative minds, hearts and souls in the world. My first guest for 2017 is a man who's been gracing your screens for some time you may know him from his role on Wentworth you may know him from his role on Winners and Losers you may know him from Rescue Special Ops you've just heard us talking about his upcoming role in Home and Away my first guest for the year 2017 is actor turned writer Luke McKenzie it's funny it's usually you know, a home and away or a neighbors is the sort of show that can really kickstart someone's career. But in your case, you've kind of come into it with a really solid body of work already behind you. Was it something that you saw yourself stepping into or was it something where it was an opportunity that came up or how did that sort of manifest? Yeah, it, it actually... <sighs> Early in, earlier on in my career, I was a bit, you know, nose up in the air. And I, I, I would say to my agent, I, and I just didn't want to do soaps. And there was a few things that I didn't want to do. And 
you know, as time and age go, idealism out the window. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but, but um, in all honesty, it wasn't something that really that I wanted to do at the time. Um, so I kind of bounced around and did a whole bunch of other things. And and then it really was the opportunity. Kind of they reached out and told, told us what the character arc was. And I'd heard such great things. Like I said, that it was the environment on set was fantastic. And I knew a lot of the directors that had come in because I think it was about five years ago or so when, um, when a lot of Australian one hour, you know, long running procedurals and, you know, you're all saintsy type shows that, that had a lot of, I guess you would say, quote unquote, the high caliber directors at the time, they shifted over to home and away. So, the quality in, in a lot of areas has, I don't know how it does it, but it really exceeds what it should be able to do because it, it's apparently the fastest shooting show on the planet is what I heard when I was on set. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, I couldn't believe that. But the, um, the quality they really seem to get out from the script department through the production values and the, and the acting on the show and the directing, it's, it really is a step above what it should be at for what it is. Um, so it was something that kind of, we, we jumped at when we when it all kind of came together perfectly, as I said, because of the practical aspects and because, you know, I wasn't as, I guess, rigid on what I would and wouldn't do because I don't take myself so seriously, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> when you say fastest moving show on the planet, what what does what do yeah. you mean by that? Well, they shoot so they doing forty I could be wrong quoting this number, but I think it's forty eight hours of tele oh sorry. 48 episodes of television per year. Jesus. And yeah, it's crazy. So they're doing 26, no, it must be more 20. Yeah. 26 minutes of TV a day. And for people outside of the industry, a feature film shoots about one minute of footage a day. Yeah. So, you know, at any, at any given point, depending what contract you're on, like how involved you are in the show, you could be working on that current. So one block is one week. So five episodes of TV you'll be shooting concurrently. And that's the, that's one block. So one week, one block. So at any given moment, you're working on the five scripts of that one block plus prepping the next week's block and doing some rehearsals and read through and stuff like that and doing pickups of the previous week's block. So, you could have fifteen episodes swimming around your head at any given point. How do you? How do so you kind of? Uh, how do you balance that and kind of roll with that? I mean, I am making an assumption that something like Wentworth is not moving at the same pace because it's much. Uh, it's a kind of more. What's the right word? It's a l- less serialized sort of show. Um, absolutely yeah so how do you kind of step into that uh if if it's not something that you're necessarily used to well i mean i think you to be honest i think you've got to make it up as you go and they seem to they seem to kind of organize it so whoever's coming on doesn't get thrown right into the thick of it they kind of ramp you up um and the other cast members are, are pretty good you know like you just kind of, you know, I'm never shy to ask a question. So it, when prepping scripts and looking at all these different piles of it, because you've also got on top of the 15 scripts, the thing that kind of does my brain inside out is getting all your different stages of amendments. So you'll have, you know, different, there's like three or four different colors as they come through as most shows, but there's quite often a lot of amendments. So you've got to slot in all these different amendments coming at different times for all the different scripts. So I think, just talking to them about how they practically do that. You know, some of them use their iPads and these different softwares where you can, where they seem to kind of synthesize with whatever emails and stuff are coming in. And um, other people just pull out all their specific scenes and discard the rest. So you can kind of consolidate that way. But I think it's, um, yeah, I think, I think it's in the prep really. I mean, before I would just have to spend a, a good chunk of time preceding each block you know, when you're doing your read-throughs and your prep and lots of stuff, just plotting out the arc. Like, so on the front cover of each script, this is just something that I kind of came up with, was to pen out like a timeline and then slot in rough approximations of when your scenes are and then weave out an arc for each episode and then you can sit back and look at them 
in a row and say, okay, so I started here, I went there, this happened, you know, these were all the events of that episode. You can kind of loosely plot a little arc through it, mm. um, but that only really works if you have an arc because some other characters are just, you know, when they're recurring, their arc, it, they might be not be the A storyline or the B storyline for that episode or, or week. So then it's more about just get your lines, get them down, rock up and stay in the pocket when you're, when you're doing your scenes, I think. Mm. So, yeah, to, uh, as a non-specific answer, I think it's it's different with each character with and with each different person, obviously, how they prep. But a lot of the people, I forget who it was, one of the directors. Oh, no, sorry. They've got acting coaches on set. And it was one of the acting coaches who were fantastic. It's um, Jen Hegney and, and Kath. I forgot her last name, but two wonderful girls. And uh, And when I was talking about what the arc of this character is, you know, because it's quite gritty and it goes, you know, he falls apart and comes back together and it's, you know, it's obviously a high drama, but I was talking about all these different things going on and she said, Luke, honestly, just sit back, stay in the pocket and just be present and don't worry about all the other stuff because in soap, you've just got to, you've got so much coming at you, you just got to stay there and and uh, and be present in the scene, so. It was, it was a it, it is a different medium and it's and it's a different beast once you kind of fall into the swing of it all mm. and you're someone who i mean you know we work together uh very briefly um but you know from my observations someone who is incredibly intricate and uh very diligent with the the amount of work and research and kind of methodology that you have when it comes to your craft uh, and i imagine that something like a soap in the kind of uh, vein of home and away could be something that really challenges you to kind of step outside of that and really, uh, you know, go with what's kind of thrown at you. It, it does. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, I, it wasn't something I hadn't done before because I kind of over the years as different, you know, auditions or projects or mediums have, have emerged I've tried different prep things. So I've done the whole, you know, just barely get your lines down and then rock up and see where it goes organically. I've done the, you know, meticulously plan out everything. If it's a, if you know, there's going to be like a, you know, if it's a, if it's a film where you get time, you can plan a bit, bit of stuff or, you know, going into all the different methodologies of acting. So I've, I guess I've tried them all and I do like to just rock up and see how it goes, but in something where you feel like you've got to honor it, like your script, you, you know, it was quite, it had layers there. And this character was based on someone with a specific situation, you know, mental, you know, you met specific mental illness. So you want to do that justice. And it's the same as the home and away arc. It had specific, um, specific, he had a specific condition going on from a specific event. So to honor that, I wanted to go in there and do as much of the research as I can, but you know, you're always kind of relearning the same old lessons in that you do your homework, but then when you get there, you go throw it away. Mm. You got to rock up and just be present. So in that regard, it was, a, it, you know, it was a good reminder to kind of just, I guess, you know, throw the work away and just trust in the moment, your instincts. I was reading uh, that you didn't really start looking at acting seriously uh, until you'd sort of finished high school um, and, you know, we're talking a lot about kind of the processes that you've gone through and, and the, um, the methodologies that you've learned over the years and everything that you've kind of experimented with to arrive at the, the point that you are today. Mm. When, when did you kind of decide or when did acting become something for you that you thought, you know, this is something that I want to dedicate my life to, um, to understanding and to pursuing? I, uh, I don't know exactly. Uh, I, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I, I, well, I got out of high school. I did high school drama, which I, I loved, but I was, you know, obviously just was kind of mostly there just to hang out with the girls. And so <laughs> uh, didn't work, but, <laughs> but I did high school drama, really enjoyed that. And uh, I took a year off when I was playing football. So I was getting paid to play and had some contract things. 
So I did that for the year, but I knew it wasn't kind of what I wanted to do. So, what code it, of football to, was that? Rugby league. Oh wow! Yeah, so I played for the Eastern Tigers up in Queensland, um, which are part of the Queensland Cup up there, and um, I, I'd done that since I was a kid, and it was just something that you know was quite sporty growing up, and it was, you know, it was what I did at the time. So, mm. um, but your heart wasn't in it. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, like I, I I love pushing yourself and I love the things that sport bring you, but I just, I was always kind of kooky, I guess, in a football team. Um, like in high school, like I was in drama and I was playing on the football team and each family doesn't really understand the other side. Like so to the footballers, I was, you know, running around in body bags in, in drama and they thought that was a bit weird. And then the acting people thought that I was you know, football and jock. It, it was all, you know, fun and games, but um, I never kind of sat in one camp specifically and felt like this is my tribe, you know, but mm. so I knew that I wasn't kind of completely in the football camp, even though, you know, I played and I loved the game. So towards the end of that first season, I I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Like, yeah, you know, I ended up going back for another season whilst I was studying acting, but I, I by the end of that year, I, I literally just sat down and wrote in a piece of paper what my ideal jobs would be and acting was the top of the list. So I was like, all right, well, there we go. Mm, so I went, went to a drum. Yeah, there's my answer. Um, so I went to a drama school for a couple of years, which did kind of like a, a Lecoq Stanislavski blend. So it's, you know, Lecoq is mask work. So working from the outside in to get everything happening and Stanislavski is kind of the other way around. So from the inside out. So I picked up a couple of different, generalized overviews from that. So that was a couple of years there. And then I moved to Sydney and I, by that point I was, I was all in, you know, once I kind of do jump into something that's, that becomes everything. And, uh, and then I guess through my early twenties, I, I just kept up with improv cause I loved that. So I did a lot of improv, um, did some Chekhov study, did some viewpoints study with different teachers in Sydney. And I was kind of just piecing together different ways to work from that. When traveling for a couple of years and I got back around 07 and again, dived back into just different bits and pieces of training. Um, kept kind of defining what, you know, how I wanted to work, but it was probably around, Oh, coincidentally, when I really started to, to work, I guess, um, I think that was kind of when I started to question if acting was what I wanted to do. Um, I guess I still do have an idealistic, you know, bottom line that if what I'm doing isn't kind of really filling up the tank inside, I, I will just question it. And I guess inevitably acting is something that you are in work and out of work. And you, you know, I got into acting because I, wanted to do something creative i wanted to do something that was you know adventurous that had a high ceiling in terms of you know, in all aspects and where you would work with interesting people and and i guess investigate humanity as much as you could so the, the kind of more i went on the more i realized that you know it wasn't so creative it, it is creative in a sense when you create backstory and in the moment when it's all when it's all kind of firing, that's creative, but fundamentally it's an interpretive art form. Mm. And that's fantastic. That's great. But if you, you know, you just want to hope that the role you're doing is something that you're passionate about. The project is something that you are looking forward to doing, because if it's not the, the gratification you can get from it isn't, doesn't necessarily marry up to the struggle that it, there is to get the work. So I just kind of, my idealism kicked back in. I was like, well, what do I want to do? And I like, I knew I loved storytelling and in all honesty, my grandfather kind of told me this writing had been my deepest and longest passion. Apparently I told him when I was a little boy that I wanted to be an author and, and that, and that had always been a secret dream of mine that I'd never really told, but I guess I had. So I just started really kind of putting, putting work into the writing thing and, and, um, and I kept working in the in acting, ironically, but I, I guess there's always a part of me between jobs or even during the job where I was like, mm, 
I don't know if this is really filling the tank as much as I'd like it to, you know? Mm. So I, I love acting. And with, when the right project is there, there, there is nothing better. Like I've done a few plays over the years and there's, you know, different moments in different shows and films where, where everything comes together in that kind of beautiful synchronous moment. And it's, it really is magic, but a lot of the other, and you know, this could be just, you know, just thinking of it now, it could just be, symptomatic of this generation where it's like i'm not fulfilled you know <laughs> but but that's what it is mm. so I, I i still don't know how i sit on it all i love acting but i just don't know how um how much it satiates what i want from it well i think that's also part of what it is to be creative or a creative or an artist or whatever label you want to put on it is to constantly be in a state of questioning or curiosity and that's kind of a double-edged sword because you have Mm. that curiosity about the world and about the way that things work and about humanity and all that but then you also have that curiosity or that questioning of well what am I really doing with my life I'm you know there are doctors yeah. who are saving lives and there are researchers yeah. who are evolving uh, our understanding of the planet and of humanity. And here I am making pretend, you know, so it's kind of... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same, you know, cause you've got a, you've got a few strings to your bows within the field, you know, writing, directing, and you've produced and you've operated and done different crew jobs, I'm sure. So, you know, each one brings a different gratification to you. But at the end of the day, each one piece doesn't kind of make up the sum of its parts. Yeah. And I think you, I think you kind of, you hit the nail on the head to an extent when you talk about acting as fundamentally being an interpretive art form. And I think that unless you are a writer, actor or a writer, director or a writer, producer, anything that involves actually writing and doing whatever else it is as a creative you're pretty much, yep. uh, they're all interpretive. Writing is the kind of, yep. the, the essence of the, um, the, the art form, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Do you remember the first time that you, you did perform? Uh, or maybe, maybe it was the first time that you wrote something. I guess the question is um, kind of framed around whether or not you recall that the kind of the first moment that you did the thing that has really kind of ignited a passion in your life. That's something that you're still pursuing to this day. I mean, in terms of performing arts and storytelling and all that sort of stuff, I don't know if this really triggered it. I mean, I did the high school musicals. We did Grease and we did, um, I can't even remember what the other play we did was, but we did a few plays in high school, which were a lot of fun. But I don't know if that really, I don't think that sparked it. Um, I think what, to truly, I think what it was, was when I first started studying acting, you know, the whole process of that was, yeah, and looking back on it now, that, that could have been, you know, the, 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 I could have, predicted where i would come now but the real enjoyment i got and get from this thing is is um is just figuring out what makes people tick you know what makes me tick what makes you tick like what is the dynamic there and you know just that i'm just always curious about humanity and humans and how we operate and and studying acting at the start I, I, I didn't really hunger to get on stage. I didn't really hunger to get in front of the camera. If anything, I kind of, it made me anxious and I didn't love it. I, I just loved script analysis and I loved, um, you know, mo- creating characters and modeling characters on people and figuring out why they tick and what are these mannerisms and, you know, just all that kind of late teen, early 20 exploratory stuff because we've got the, so many questions in our head at that point. I guess that was really what what entrenched me into it, I guess. Like, wow, this is fucking fantastic. I can't believe this is a career where it's all around behavior and and human needs and wants and the human condition. And, and uh, I, I guess really it came from that rather than any performing moment. I did the first play that I, or the second play that I did was Richard III. And I, 
absolutely loved that and I still want and I want to get back and do that at one point again but that was probably the most free and completely inside this thing I'd been which re- which really turned me on but to be honest I think it was the I think it was a study I think it was yeah I mean that's just kind of looking back on it now but I think it was the study rather than any kind of performing moment Mm. Which again, like I said, like I said, probably precipitates where I am now. You know, reverse engineering this the storytelling vocation that I found myself in to actually construct and tell stories and kind of what is my take on humanity? What is my take on the world? And what what do I want to say about it? You know, I, I just I find that fascinating now. What characters do I want to see change and grow and or devolve? So, I think that's still the same. How did you kind of arrive at having the the secret of wanting to be an author when you were a kid? I, I think it was just reading. I was an avid reader. My mum was an avid reader. She would she would knock over a couple of books a week, and our bookshelves were just huge. And um, and I was always picking up the books after she'd finished with them, or just I would lay. I remember laying on the lounge. In the in either because we moved a lot, whichever room the the uh, bookshelf was in, I would just kind of lay there staring at the books, and just looking across them all. Just it kind of overwhelmed me. Just that each little piece of paper and cardboard had inside it an entire world and characters, and it was it was kind of like you know looking at branches of a tree, and each one kind of didn't end. And I was just fascinated by by that, and I, I would fall into books so deeply and. And I think, and I was always creating stories. Like when I was, you know, that was the kind of subject in early school, right through to the end that I was most interested in and, and that I seemed to do the best at. And, um, I was always quite imaginative. So I was coming up with stories and characters and just a little, little, little kind of skits, I guess you'd call them. So it was kind of, I, I guess it was something that came from reading. And, and apparently I, I was vocal about it, which I don't remember because I always thought carrying through to my 20s, I thought it was something that was that I just kept a secret, that that was what I was eventually going to do. I remember reading Paulo Coelho's story as in his personal story. And I don't think he started authoring until he was in his mid 30s. Mm. And so in the back of my, I'm actually just re- remembering in this right now, but I remember thinking, okay, that's that's what I'll do. You know, I'll do my thing, whatever it is that I, you know, I'll go and do acting. You know, acting's fun. I love it. I'll do, you know, I'll venture around the world and do whatever I do. But eventually, I'll kind of come around like Paulo did, and I'll go and author later on. Mm. And so become an alchemist. That was just kind of my exactly, exactly. That's how I kind of led my life to that point. You know just kind of bounce from moment to moment and see how the road, see where the road takes you. And, but at the end of the day, I always had the escape chute that I was ready to pull and, you know, go off and write my books. And, um, and that was all my, always my secret little kind of back of my head plan. But, um, I guess as my twenties kind of progressed and, I'm, and, you know, I got to around 30, I just, I, I, I just had to write more. So I, I'd always been writing poems and short stories, but I started doing plays and short films and wrote my feature and, you know, I've since gone back to, to go into, to study writing. But um, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of where it, where it started it was just reading and, and just thinking, well, you know, that's what I'll do eventually. Was your creativity something in like growing up that your parents uh, nurtured or was it something that where you know you were pushed to be more academic or, or maybe you know pushed more into the kind of sporting world uh, how was that kind of uh, how did that kind of play out in your childhood we were kind of just left to you know not neglectfully so but we were just left to our own devices I wasn't really nothing was advocated nothing was denounced it just you know like I, I was Whenever I, like when I was young, young, and I, I was just quite active and wanted to do a million sports, but, you know, we moved so much and there wasn't a heap of cash around. So I wasn't able to pick up and do like a summer sport and a winter sport and then another sport and then have this hobby. And, you know, I, I couldn't really do that. So I played rugby league because, you know, it was an easy and cheap and accessible sport. And then I got into boxing later and karate. 
But in terms of the arts, I guess it just kind of came down to whatever I seemed to gravitate towards. Like it was a very organic thing. It wasn't, you know, my mum played guitar and piano. My grandmother played piano. My my parents separated when I was young, but my dad was, he he was always very artistic and creative. So he was, but he was never advocating anything. He was always, you know, talking about his, his you know, his drawing and his guitar playing and this and that. And, um, and whenever there was a guitar around, mum would always pick it up and I loved what she did. Um, so I, I guess it was kind of whatever I seemed to gravitate towards. Eventually I would kind of get into that thing. So guitar has been the longest, the longest creative thing I've done, I guess. And that was probably due to the fact that my grandma and my mum had played and always jumped on the piano whenever there was one around. But it, yeah, it was never really one that was kind of, okay, well, what are you going to do this year? How about we study more or how about we get you a tutor or, you know, there was never really, it, it, the conversation was never led that way. It, it, there wasn't a conversation. It was always, I would find myself drawn to something and then I'd be like, hey, I, you know, I really want to do guitar. And then a few months later, like, can I get a guitar? And eventually, you know, for Christmas, I got a little, a little guitar and that's how that started and that hasn't stopped. And then, you know, writing was always something I did on my own and, you know, after a few months of asking to play football, I was allowed to do that. So it was kind of whatever I really wanted to do that would facilitate, but it wasn't, they wouldn't kind of entertain every, every women fancy I had. And I was never really pushed into anything. So yeah, I kind of just kind of found my own way, I guess. Mm. It was kind of like you had to prove that you, that there was going to be a commitment to something before they would facilitate it. But once they saw that you were serious, they kind of, they... Uh, nurtured you through it or something i think so and you know it wasn't framed that way it wasn't that wasn't a conscious thing but looking back on it it was definitely you know it was ne- it was definitely not like whatever i wanted to do i could try my hand at because there's a million things i really would like i would have loved to have done more instruments or played different sports or you know um yeah it was yeah I think it was just more so that wasn't that just wasn't a viable option financially or time wise. So it was more so, you know, if I would hound it something enough, I guess that would they'd have to pay attention eventually. You know? <laughs> so so the the lesson for that kids is pester. Pester, yes, persistence. Exactly. Uh, so when you did. Uh, come out of drama school and you you said there was that point where you actually started working a lot and I know uh, one of the first big gigs you got was um, was Rescue Special Ops what was it kind of like for you to step into that kind of world of of you know working consistently and solidly and and almost to a point now where it, it seems to me as though you, you are really able to choose what you want to do, not in a kind of, um, you know, pretentious way, but just in a kind of knowing what your, what, what your value is and, and the work that you want to be pursuing. What was it kind of like to take those first steps into being, uh, you know, a really consistently working uh, actor? I, 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 the the one I can remember everything about this moment, but until that point, like all my friends will t- will, will say say this, but I I quite literally just poured everything into it. So any money I had went to making my own short films, you know, doing every new acting class, getting new shots when I needed them, you know, just I channeled it directly back in and. And if, uh, you know, if an audition came up and I was doing a job that clashed with that and they wouldn't let me go, I would quit the job. <laughs> like I would literally just, it, it was black and white. I just wanted, you know, I knew what I wanted and and, and um, anything else just got in the way. But by the time Rescue came around, that was when I'd done my first trip to the States. And at, in, in keeping theme with what I just said, I poured everything into the States trip, got back to Australia, really scraping. Um, I think I was just doing like whenever I could days of casual laboring that I just loathe because I've done so much of it. And, um, 
And it got to the point, I think it was, I did two callbacks for that show. And the, like, I knew that I was right for the character and I knew that I was doing good work, but it was just taking so long to find out. So it was one of those moments where I'd been pushing so hard for so long and done a bit of work, but like you said, hadn't cracked that big series regular where it's, you know, it will take you to that next level. And I was in debt in literally every avenue. I didn't have money. Me and my friend Kane, I remember the day we were up, we were in Bondi. I think it was, it was either just before or just after Christmas, maybe just before. And we were like rubbing together about $4 to walk up to the local convenience store, get a bit of bread and whatever we could get for that, whatever the most the biggest volume of food was for four <laughs> bucks. That's what, that's what we were looking for. It was, it was purely fill this hole in our belly. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I didn't have money. I think my phone was overdue and I had debts everywhere and I, it was just a shitty time and a shitty period. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting for this call to come through. And, and it, it just felt like it was never going to come. And, if, and it all felt too good to be true. And I remember I was in that shop looking for that food. And my agent called up and said, good news. And she was quite casual about it. She was like, good news. The role's gone your way. And I'm like, what? I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I kind of felt like I, was, I thought I was going to throw up a little bit, which I didn't because <laughs> I needed food to fill the gap. So, yeah, I, I just I remember that so clearly. It was it was relief. It was just absolute relief. And then obviously coming in to do the show. Um, uh, it, that really was probably the most fun I've had on a show because it was, it, um, I mean, not to kind of fly in the face of, of, you know, progress, but it was kind of a bit of a boys club, which, you know, coming from football, I was familiar with that. We were jumping off rocks and we were having fight scenes and, and the, you know, the girls were in there with us, but it was that bit of that kind of the stunties were, were guys and it was a bit of that ha 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 sort of thing. So, so in a purely kind of fun and practical way, that that was it was a lot of fun, and um, and the character I really loved. It was kind of a roguish, you know, black sheep, quite a larrikin, you know, daredevil sort of dude. He was in the SAS, so that that really was, I guess, what kind of allowed that next stage of my career to happen. And um, it just felt like relief because I I literally put everything into it. You know, that's kind of the, yeah, the, the probably the biggest the biggest way I could describe that, the clearest way. And, you know, having that kind of platform, as you say, it kind of, it breaks you through that next level, that, that ceiling. And after that, you know, you, you work on great shows like winners and losers. And, you know, as we said before, Wentworth, and you've done a few films now as well. I didn't quite realize that you'd tried to, um, you'd done your first trip to LA before that period of time is yeah do you kind of see cracking that international market i suppose through la because it really is much more kind of global now than just saying you want to make it in la uh it is you yeah. know i mean i'm working in london on yep. quote unquote american films so yep. and you know they're being made all over europe and asia and you know, wherever you go, it's, it really is a global market. But I suppose that's the place where you kind of go to, to crack it. Has that always been the kind of compass point or the true north point for you of, of success, of, of making it as, a, as an, an actor or a filmmaker or writer or whatever that may be? It kind of has, yeah. You know, like you said, when you kind of get into the industry, you, you now know that it is quite decentralized. I mean, everything is made in LA, you know, the, all the producers are there and, you know, there's a bit of TV created in New York and obviously the international scene is the international scene, but in terms of, you know, us content, which is kind of, I guess what the top of the mountain is when we start getting into this thing. So that still is the true North, but the, you know, the center of us content is still by a long shot, Los Angeles. So, I guess it's, yeah, it was, it's, you know, that's where the best writers and directors and actors and films and TV are, are created, if not shot. So I guess that, yeah, that, that, that is definitely kind of, I, I guess, still where I see myself and, you know, probably, and 
probably and ideally more so kind of known for my writing going forward. Um, but yeah, I guess collaborating with people in LA and is still the top of the pile. What would be a, a good indicator of success for you, uh, I guess, at this point in your life uh, and, and maybe in 10 years' time as well? I think, honestly, it would be when I can look at myself in the mirror and say, damn, that solid gold chain around your neck is real. Mm. Mm. That's, I mean, that's really it. Because right now it's brass, but one day it'll be gold. And I mean, when you when you so, sign with a, an agent in Los Angeles, like one of those top level agents, they give you a gold necklace, don't they? Oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. And the better the agent, the thicker the band. So yeah, I'm really aiming high. I want I, I want to have neck problems from this thing. Right. So that's that. That really is the tangible kind of the marking, the marker for me. I'm sure you can understand how hefty your physio bill is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think uh, I. I don't know if there is a marker, dude. I mean, right, at, you know, growing older now, I guess it kind of morphs and, um. You know, shade, shades of grey and start to come in, and different values start to emerge, or your real values kind of come through, I guess. So for me now, to be honest, it's it's not re- it's no real financial thing. Uh, it's not when I can get to the point where, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just if I. I'm going to kind of put it in like mirror it against something. But if I was creating TV shows like the leftovers, or if I was show running shows that were of the voice, you know, that was close to the, to the singular vision of what you had, that for me would be success in a professional sense or in a, you know, artistic sense or, you know, the kind of Venn diagram of those two places. Mm. But you know, success means so many more things, so many different things for me now. Like, you know, the quality of my relationships uh, is is big, and you know how much I feel my life is balanced or able to be balanced and maintain that balance for for an extended period of time. Because inevitably, as you, you know, as I'm sure you know, as we travel around and we're in and out of relationships and we're we're in and out of financial freedom, and you know, your balance kind of. It's always in flux, as it is for everybody. But I think, you know, the more I can figure out what makes me feel good about myself and makes me feel good about the people around me, yeah, I I guess it's just kind of keeping that balance. And in a professional lens, it would be creating things and collaborating with people where I can either execute as close to the vision that I have as possible or collaborate with people on their vision, which is much, much better than mine. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Too loose? No, no, that's, that's great. And, uh, you know, I think you, like you say, it is, it's an evolving process or well process. Yeah. I guess it is a process. It's an evolving concept. It's, uh, yeah. you know, as you kind of going back to that curiosity we talked about earlier, as you become more and more curious, you kind of yeah. You take up different values and and you take up different ideals and you know where you mm. where you wouldn't have done home and away, uh, you know, fifteen years ago. Now you're saying yes to it and you're looking at the yeah. kind of opportunity and the platform that it represents to you on in a bigger picture sense. Yeah, and not so much taking on other like you know that's a perfect example because you know my. Um, not my values, but I guess my my boundaries earlier in my career were based on what other people would think more than what I would enjoy to do and what I could contribute to that pr- project, you know? So as I've gotten older, you don't really care. It's like, yeah, whatever. Whatever you think is whatever you think. Um, I know that I I will... Yeah, there's there's... You're not looking so singularly, I guess. You, know, you look at the bigger picture, it's like, well... You know, this opportunity will, I'll be hanging out with some fantastic people working on a show. Everyone wants to do the same thing. It'll give me the chance to, you know, practic- in practicality, see my girl and 
make some money while I'm back in Australia. And, you know, it's a different market that I haven't been exposed to before. And, you know, and so that, you know, rather than looking at it singularly as in like, oh, I'm not going to do anything unless it's going to win me an Oscar. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't, yeah. you know, <laughs> because that worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you got to remember Marlon Brando did a lot of shit films as well. You know, he didn't, not, not everything, and he, you know, the guy who's revered as the, oh, the kind of standard bearer of kind of modern male actors. Um, I know. know. Have you seen that pile of shit on the waterfront? I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's had some stinkers. You know, yeah. Stanley Kowalski. Yeah, I mean, what was that all about, really? I, I'm still trying to understand it. Yeah. I don't really understand why someone would name a tram. But, you know, that's, <laughs> that's just me. So wh- how, how have you managed to kind of, uh, I suppose, morph your values? And, and you know, I remember when I, when I met you, you'd kind of, um, and, and, you know, let me know if this is too kind of personal, but you'd, you'd ended a relationship because there was a big kind of difference in values and there was a struggle to kind of maintain that with the lifestyle and, mm. and the career that you were wanting to pursue. Um, yeah. But now it seems as though you've managed to find and create a relationship where you're both kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, so to speak. Um, yeah. How, what, what was kind of the important, I guess, ingredient for you in this to, to create and to sustain that relationship? I think the, you know, that relationship, the previous relationship, that was, uh, that was the, that was literally the, the epitome of that kind of season, reason, or a lifetime. That was the epitome of the reason, you know, we both, we both grew, me and her both, we grew a hell of a lot, but it cost a lot, you know, it cost a lot in the relationship and there was a lot of heartache and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of scars and, you know, misunderstanding and miscommunication and, you know, unmatched values and just weren't on the same page. So the breaking point came when it kind of felt we had both given each other ultimatums, which, you know, is not never going to be a good recipe, but um, it just imploded. Our paths were diverging and, and, you know, there's just a lot of scar tissue there. And I think ultimately we knew that we weren't right for each other long-term. So yeah, that kind of, that, that went its own way. I learned a hell of a lot about myself and women and how to be in a relationship and, you know, how to, how to treat people more so, you know, um, you know, so that, that was, that was a huge lesson. And I think that contributed to me being more willing to sacrifice and, and, um, and I think, you know, it kind of came at the same time where I, I think guys, you know, not every guy, but I think guys have to, you know, I think you've got to get the, your twenties out of the way. Not, you know, I think, you know, we grew up, well, you know, I kind of grew up a little slower in terms of relationships and, and self-worth and maturity as a man, which I think bodes well for a relationship if you have those things, but um, it was probably just a combination of all those things, you know, finishing that relationship, learning a bunch of stuff, me and my girl now, Sophie, being on the same page. And there's just a, a really great base of respect and trust and love. And I think those things are the bedrock, which can make the fact that we've done predominantly distance for the last little while so easy, really. It just feels easy is, I guess, the kind of short answer. You know, you mentioned things like, you know, the, the trust and respect and the love kind of being the, the foundational elements. And I'm sure, you know, there's, there's always love, um, but the trust, trust and respect and, and communication, uh, I think for me, are certainly yeah. things that I've learned to be of quite significant value and what they mean. You, yeah. As in yours have evolved as well? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Do you, I mean, um, do you feel the same that as you've matured and gotten older that your communication has gotten better and Undoubtedly. your relationships? 
Yeah. But it's also about understanding, for me, a lot of it's been about understanding what that means because, and I'm sure in five years' time, I will have an even deeper understanding of what that means. Yeah. Because to, you know, to say, you know, even three years ago that I, I, I know what it means to communicate and to, yeah. but practically and kind of on a philosophical level, well, no, I didn't really understand what it meant to communicate. I knew what it meant to speak to someone. Yeah. Um, right, right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I knew I knew how speak to speak at someone. Yeah. I knew how to make words into sounds that someone would be able right. to comprehend. <laughs> I'm glad you moved beyond the clicks and pops because that was getting old. Yeah, yeah. Uh I mean people did look at me strangely like I was some kind of robot. Uh but mm. and it didn't really work that well when f- for directing to just kind of direct with clicks and pops. <laughs> Uh, but well, I mean, you, you know, you were the embodiment of the of the idea that communication is ninety percent nonverbal. So I don't know what the big problem was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just kind of took a Meisner approach to communication. Right, and that's what you choose to do, and so be it. Yeah, that's right. So be <laughs> it. Uh, so I can't. Even, I don't remember where where we were. We were talking about values and relationships and things like that. It doesn't, you know, it's all uh, it's all just kind of. I think what we're kind of arriving at is is an evolving, an evolving kind of process of based yep. in curiosity, probably. Exactly, and I think I think you know you hit the nail on the head with the word evolving. That's you know in in a lot of my writing when I kind of pull back and I look at it, I mean that's really what what we're watching on screen isn't it you know people evolving or devolving um but that's kind of a big theme that i'm into you know this one tv show that i've written is is essentially about having someone with a rigid mindset be able to have an iterative mindset you know bring in new information and adapt according to what you now believe and what has been disproven from your previous set of thoughts and beliefs and allow yourself the vulnerability to change and grow. And I think that's a big, you know, without getting too political about it, but there's this weird paradigm where you're not allowed to change your mind in politics. You know, you see them get crucified if they can unearth something from 10 years ago that you once said, and now you seem to, you know, your your ideas and your, you know, you seem to have changed your mind. When I think that's one of the most basic signs of a mature and humble mindset and curious mindset if you can investigate your beliefs investigate what you currently think is true and either prove or disprove that and then be humbled enough to say oh wow what i previously thought isn't necessarily what i now think according to the you know the new information that's come in so I'm going to now have a different mindset. I'm going to now have an opened or, or a changed mindset. You know, I think that's, that's kind of one of the things that I, that I really want to maintain in myself. And I, I really value in other people is when is when is that lack of rigidity. And for some reason, I think it's rigidity seems to be a sign of strength or something. It's weird. Like having just a fixed mindset where, you know, whether it's, you know, same-sex marriage or whether it's environmental issues or whatever it is. Like you once said that you were against same-sex marriage. Now you're saying you're for it. What is the real case here, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Politician? Yeah, I kind of, that kind of strikes me as crazy, you know? Yeah, no. I, Going on I, a tangent there, but, no, I'm, but I'm, I think I'm in the you. arts, what, you know, what we do is we investigate what it takes to change and will someone change under extreme pressure? And most good stories, the person does change. You know, somebody has an idea of what they want, pressure gets put on them, their real character comes through and they grow either towards or away from what they originally wanted and learn something in the process. And, you know, that's kind of, I think that's why people go to watch and or read or see so many, you know, stories in such great volume is because that kind of speaks to, it speaks to something yeah. deep inside of us, which, which wants to evolve. Well, that's the you know, we journey, get better. isn't it? Well, that's it, you know, and, and it's, 
Yeah, but it could be, a, you know, it could be a tragic journey anyway because we, you know, we learn in binary. So if you see someone not change and they just, the world around them crumbles because they're just creating a tornado of shit and their relationships fall apart and their lives fall apart and ultimately it's a tragic story. The lesson we get from that is, oh, okay. So to not have that, I need to change and I need to grow and I need to, you know, be honest here and, you know, so I think either way, we're still pulling from whatever journey is in front of you, uh, you know, whatever kind of arc or journey, whatever, however you want to frame it, is in front of you that, um, you know, the, 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 the message of the theme is to grow. And I think if you can just have that, then I think, which I think we do most of the time, is that that kind of makes me an optimist, you know, about humans and humanity and where we're at right now, because if you can just grow a little bit one day to the next or just, you know, even consciously have the mindset, you know, I just want to get better. Just something simple like that. Then that translates into every facet of your life from your relationships to the ways you communicate, to your professional growth, to your personal growth, to, you know, into everything. So I think that for me seems to just kind of always smack me back in the face from something I'm writing or from a lesson that I learn or from a period of my life. It's, just you know, con- evolving, growing. So I think I think you know you've 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 arrived on that point quite succinctly. <laughs> Do you think that's what <laughs> the meaning of life is? Do you think it's to kind of evolve and grow? No, I think the meaning of life is twelve. Pi. Yep, I really think that. Yeah. What does what's the significance <laughs> of twelve? One plus two, three. You seem to have done the arithmetic. No, I don't know. I'm just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this has been, uh, you know, just uh, you know, I kind of lost for. I'm at a very kind of deep, uh, deeply entrenched in thought uh, place. I thought you were going to say, "Well, this has been a, this has been a lost hour, Luke." So thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that was what I was lost. I was in how to say that uh, to you. <laughs> no, well, this, I read between the lines. So. You did. You did. My my ability to to communicate without saying what I was really feeling uh, once again shone through. Exactly. Um, no, I mean, I feel like we could just go on and on. I'm I'm very aware of the fact that you need to be somewhere in about fifteen minutes, so I'm going to um I'm gonna do the wrap up. Um, All right. I'm I'm really you know very grateful for you jumping on uh, wherever in the world you are right now, which isn't Melbourne uh, or Sydney, or Summer Bay or um, uh, Wentworth Prison. The frozen, tu- the frozen tundra of Northern America. The frozen tundra of North America. It sounds like the beginnings of yeah. one of your poems. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's always good talking to you, Al. You're a, you're a, you're a great dude, and you know. I just, I think you're about the right stuff and, and yeah, I love talking to you, man. Thanks, man. Likewise. Feeling is very much reciprocated. Um, and I, I was, uh, I just, I was going to ask you um, earlier, you mentioned that your mum about her guitar playing. I was thinking about um, uh, getting a new theme oh, song for, for the show. My. Made. Lord. And. Let, um, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a, on a, on a limb here. Yeah. Are you somehow talking about blues guitar? Well, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what you call it, but it's like there's a thing that you put on your finger, uh the one that like plays the frets, um and you say no more. I've got just a song for you because I play blues guitar. I'd be happy to send something across, you know, if you want to have that, I can play something for you that you can put on there. I'd be more than happy to. Is that like a so, so... like a demo that your mum could then record? No, 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 no. I, I, I actually do play blues guitar, so <laughs> I could do that for you. Um, that's something that I'd be very happy to do. I, you know, I could. Uh, I've actually got a recording now. It's in the mail. So, ah, cool. Uh, uh, we'll just just send it to uh, just send it to Jesus, care of the Pentagon. Yeah, I've already sent him one. He hasn't replied. Strange. <laughs> Uh, I have uh, one question that I end the conversation with, which we've probably just articulated or uh, demonstrated there. The uh, question is, what makes okay. you silly? 
You do, Al. You always have. Duh. Always will. And blues guitar. <laughs> and blues guitar. No, I, I uh, not taking myself too seriously. And then that allows me to be the goofball that I am. Mm, and wear really heavy gold chains. That, that, well, that's, that's the serious side of me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's very serious business. It is, it is. You've got to represent yourself. You do. So, Because no one else will except for your agent and your manager and your parents and your dog. And may, maybe a publicist eventually or you know, maybe the director is talking about you and your girlfriend and your yeah. boyfriend or yeah, your, your friends um, yeah. and your Facebook profile and social media. Social media in general will represent you. Um, and But besides that, no one will represent you. That's right. That's right. Don't you forget it. Exact. <laughs> Thank you so much, Luke. <laughs> Good talking to you, dude.